application for our leaders. So this, uh, we're, we're talking together here about qualifications for a leader in the congregation, and uh, it's an important part of the work of a church. Now, our nation just went through a very contentious election, and the uh, politics of the kingdoms of this world are often a vicious and brawling, scratching and climbing, clawing kind of process. And the church is not like that. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. And choosing leaders in a church is a different process also. It should be a holy process because the members of the church have been washed by the blood and their sins are forgiven and God's Holy Spirit is working in their hearts, sanctifying their hearts. It should be a peaceful process because its members are surrendered to the Lord Jesus and to His will. He is the Lord, and they want His will for their lives and for His church. And it's a brotherly process because there's body thinking. Body as in, for uh, the body is not one member, but many. They know there are feet and hands and eyes and ears, and all parts belonging to one body, and everyone having work to do. And it's not a me-first uh, mentality, but a humility, seeing others better than themselves. They think we. They think a common goal, a common purpose for Christ's cause. And to God be the glory, and not any man, and not personal agenda, but God's will be done. And overall, that Christian charity rules. So that's God's ideal for the church, and that's what God's people aspire to, what we pray that we become more fully. We know that the church is not perfect. It has flaws and weaknesses. But even so, uh, as disciples of the Lord Jesus, who are committed and desire to find God's will, we uh, can be confident that God is with us and that God works and guides and He cares about this church very much. It is His church. And the men that we consider for uh, leadership are not perfect either, chosen from this body. Uh, they have this treasure in urban vessels. They have different personalities and gifts, even different levels of maturity. And uh, I'd say that your current crop of ministers your current ministry team, none of them would claim to be perfect either. But we will see in among us a brother um, with qualities, with the kind of heart 
soil that uh, grows spiritual fruit. And that God is working in their heart and producing fruit. And this should be true uh, among all of us. But as we look through the group of brethren in our congregation, uh, we pray and uh, review the qualifications and pray that God will bring one or some persons to mind that uh, especially stand out that would uh, be a candidate for this work. So all through history, God has chosen them for His work, and often it has been directly, but uh, for church leaders, God calls primarily through His church. So we're looking at the qualifications this morning. First, we want to look at the uh, scriptures. So turn with me to Acts 6, and we'll look at the first uh, deacon ordination in Acts 6, the first seven verses. I'll read. I'll be reading from the, uh, the New King James. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint among the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Simon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. I just uh, want to hear uh, that the whole church was involved. The leaders uh, were leading out, the congregation was involved, and the ordination was not just the work of the preachers and those that were chosen. But the uh, whole congregation, the congregation was not there just as spectators. They all had a part as well. So now let's go to 1 Timothy 3. And uh, we'll read the passage there beginning with verse 1. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, 
he falls into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve this deacon being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And there's also the passage in Titus, which I don't think we read. So, um, I'd like to look at several qualifications this morning for us to think about. Nothing new. Most of us have read these before, heard them preached on before, considered them before, but we'll review this morning. And so, one person, one type, one qualification that we would see in these, in these passages we look at, that we're looking for a spiritual brother. That's a given. Uh, in Acts 6, they were instructed to look for someone spirit-filled, a spirit-filled brother. And what does that look like? What does a spirit-filled person's life look like? Well, we could think that he seeks first the kingdom of God for one and righteousness because that's what God wants for us. We would think this person would love God and wants to love him more, loves him more than anything else. It's clear this person loves God. And God is in the highest place in his life. He has a, a living, a genuine relationship with Christ. He knows what it is to walk with Jesus. And that means that um, he's in tune with him. He is following him like living the way that Jesus would want him to live, making the choices that Jesus would want him to make and showing the kinds of attitudes and characteristics that Jesus displayed in his life, Sermon on the Mount kind of life, he's not just going through the motions of being a Christian. It's genuine. And being around him, you know that God is important. You know that uh, prayer is important, that he that he knows that the source of power in his own life and the life of the church is from God. He understands what Jesus meant when he said, for without me you can do nothing. So he has faith in God. He trusts in God. He depends on God. And his life is fruitful the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, 
Nathan's temperance, he hungers and thirsts for righteousness. There's victory in his personal life. He's not in bondage to vice, sin, self. There's a stability about his Christian life. He doesn't seem to be close to God on Sunday, Monday, Tuesdays, then tapers off, and by the weekend it's wobbly and chilly and not, doesn't seem like the same person, then up and down. It's not like that. He's a man after God's own heart. He's a man after God, pursuing God. And it's very hard in his life. Stephen had died to himself before he was martyred, before he was ordained deacon in Acts. He had offered himself a living sacrifice, like Paul wrote about in Romans 12. And this person loves the Bible, uh, he loves the truth of God's word, and he uh, wants to understand it, he wants to follow it, he wants to share it. He has a good reputation. You know, you're around him, and you can tell that he is a man of God. Uh, within the church and outside in the community, he has a good reputation. This man is a Christian. People don't wonder, is he a Christian? He says he's a Christian. His life enhances his testimony. And it honors Christ. He's uh, genuine. He's a spiritual brother. We're looking for someone like that. We're looking for a wise brother. In Acts, it says that they were to choose out a wise person. And this uh, is not referring to how smart he was, whether he graduated with top honors from school or not. Doesn't mean that he has the best answer, the first answer for everything, but it's in the way he approaches problems and where he goes for solutions. He knows and follows the ways of God with right and pure motives. It's a wisdom that comes from time with God. It's a wisdom that comes from the life of fearing God, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, and making life choices in the fear of God. So there's a general clear thinking, objective thinking, not quickly swayed by emotion and passions. He's compassionate, but he's just and fair. He's careful. When a sudden vexing problem uh, appears, this man doesn't just erupt uh, in anger and frustration. He's not easily offended or hold grudges. Rather, he's patient and kind and forgiving. Uh, in James, it calls this a wisdom that is from above, that is first pure and peaceable gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without, uh, without partiality 
and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The fruit of righteousness. Section James 3. So a man with this wisdom is guided by Christ-like motives and attitudes. And James says further in that chapter that there is a there is another wisdom that is not from above, and that is earthly and sensual and demonic that fosters envy, selfish and self-centered. And when it guides a man's choices and life, then bad things happen. And uh, we're not looking for a man following that kind of wisdom or that kind of life. Our man uh, is a man with godly wisdom. Then we're also looking for a man whose home is in good order. That always makes a preacher firm. Uh, if he's the head of a home, one who rules his house, his own house well, it says. Having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That's an important question because there is a parallel between family management and church management. Is there spiritual leadership at home? Is there a godly household? What are the family relationships like? What is family life like? And this doesn't mean that there aren't disruptions and occasional uh, blow-ups and, and uh, childishness and misbehavior and wrong attitudes, but it means that there's a leader a father who is aware and addresses those kinds of issues for the benefit of his children and their future life, not just to look good to other people, but for his care for their life. But let's start first with the marriage. There's, if there's a family here that we're looking at, uh, what about the marriage? Is he a good husband? Does he love his wife as Christ loves the church? Sacrificially. And care about her and for her and for her needs. Uh, we saw mention the husband of one wife. He's married to one. He's faithful and loyal to one. Does he treat the older women in the church as mothers and the younger women as sisters? In all purity, he mentions that in Timothy 5 and verse 2. Church leadership. Uh, can bring with it opportunities for temptation. So it is important that this be uh, looked at. Choose from among you 
one who is devoted to his wife. And he will be one who guards his heart and his relationship to his wife, that she is his one and only. He is a good husband. And then uh, it brings attention to the wife also, and she a godly wife. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So, uh, some wives talk too much and don't talk kindly. Some wives aren't respectful or reverent. Some wives aren't, uh, don't show self-control and aren't as faithful as they should be. So he calls attention to that. And a wife, in a real sense, a wife is a partner in the work. She's not being ordained, but a wife can be a real asset or a hindrance uh, in, a, in a ministry. She can be the leader's most helpful supporter and ally, or she can undermine him. She can demoralize him and discourage him by the way she, the things she says to him, by being a critical person, critical of him, critical of his efforts. Does she pray for him? That's, uh, that's a, uh, a wonderful thing to know, a strengthening thing, encouraging thing, to know that one's wife is praying for him. That she submits to his leadership. Is she a role model in husband and wife uh, relationships? Are they a good team? Are they a, a, a minister whose wife who understands God's plan for marriage and are living within God's order and taking or taking practical steps in their marriage to cultivate and maintain and protect that? That is a that is a good thing. That is an important thing. So is there a good marriage that matters? Is he, is this man a good dad to his children? Are the children's nurture and development and discipline a high priority of his or does he leave it to mom? No, it should be uh, mom's as a role, but he leaves out and he is responsible and he takes his responsibility seriously. And he leaves his family in family worship. He takes his family to church. Problems in the home are taken care of in a timely fashion and not just let go until serious trouble erupts. And the problems, discipline, whatever, are dealt with in a godly way. Uh, Dad's not an authoritarian dictator barking orders, but the correction is loving, it is firm, 
It is not administered with frustration and anger. The family is safe. The family is protected. This dad knows what's happening with his children. And when dad makes a mistake, when dad does wrong, and dads do, I do, they will fail. And this dad will repent. And he is humble enough, willing enough to acknowledge it, not only to God, but to his children, to his family, to his wife, whoever. That's very important. What did, uh, you know, one time Paul and Luke and some others visited Philip, Nate in Acts chapter 21. One of those deacons ordained there in chapter 6. And they stayed there for many days and they saw Philip's family. And they saw his four daughters who prophesied, it says, and taught Sunday school or something, or had ladies' class. And they were useful in the kingdom. And I believe uh, it doesn't just spell out anything there about their family life. But knowing the kind of person Philip was, I believe we can assume that they would have sensed a good spiritual atmosphere in Philip's home. And I believe that uh, we can also assume that Philip handled his church responsibilities in a certain way. So there is a correlation between how a home is managed and how a church would be managed. So um, Paul mentions this, this a qualification in the uh, in the list of others, but an important one. All right, here's another one. We're looking for a brother who has made friends of men. And that's taken from Jesus' words. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous manner, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Uh, and so, what this is saying is saying, use, use money, use material things in a way that honors God and is a blessing to you, is a blessing to others. First Timothy says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. So we're a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, but we live here on the earth, and we work and earn our living by the sweat of our brow, as it were, and we buy groceries and houses and cars and so on. 
with unrighteous manner. And so do preachers. Uh, and that is preachers, in a way. And this is telling us that uh, what we do with our resources beyond providing uh, our necessities for our necessities is what Jesus was referring to. He said that we should use unrighteous manners in such a way that it works to our advantage by being generous in time, using it to serve others, we will have treasures in heaven. Not like the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus because he had a lot of things and he loved it a lot too. But to be like that, he was after Jesus. And he said, I gave half of my goods to feed the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I, I restore fourfold. So Zacchaeus was no longer, no longer was Mammon the master of Zacchaeus and setting his goals and driving Zacchaeus to get more Mammon and sort of, well, worshiping Mammon. And that was just absorbing his time and devotion and effort. But now he was finding satisfaction and joy in Christ and in serving him. And even with the things that he had, he was using mammon in a way that honored Christ and yielded treasure in heaven. So when those are our priorities, it affects the management of money, but it also affects the management of time, doesn't it? Often those are so, uh, someone who, for whom things are too important and is not careful with his priorities, he may end up in debt, unmanageable debt, even, and that can be a real restriction uh, to a person in ministry. Things out of balance in his material world. Because things got out of balance in Christian and spiritual priorities. <clears throat> Some people, um, they put business first, like Zacchaeus did, work first. They want to be a Christian, but really in their life, their business and their work is quite important. And then, other service follows after. And being a minister or a man of God means that Christ is first and then comes work and business. And it can be and it will be a part of uh, his mission and his life. Uh, some ministers um, I remember that Brother Eli, after he was ordained, he left the farm and um, started doing carpenter work so he would have more flexibility to do church work. And not every minister makes the same choices, but they would have the same priority that Christ and uh, ministry uh, first. 
and uh, he follows Christ in the way he approaches his work and his business, which he is a businessman. But in, in any case, Christ is the master and not man. One more. Uh, we're looking for a brother who is a servant leader. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 11. And in John 13, the feet wash in the passage. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. When Jesus came to earth, uh, he came with a different attitude about leadership than the parents of his day. Jesus taught a different attitude about leadership. And as his disciples followed him and watched him, they saw a different model of leadership. The servant leader. The shepherd leader. You don't read about leader Moses. You read about the servant Moses. Humble before God, humble before others, not calling attention to himself. And the servant leader's concern is first is cloth, not power, not position. Does the flock have food and water? Are they safe? It's not, am I comfortable? Am I enjoying this? Am I having fun? It's not that. The shepherd is approachable. She feels safe approaching him. He is easy to be entreated. The servant leader makes a good team player because it's not me first. He recognizes and appreciates and makes use of the gifts of others. He knows there are hands, there are feet and eyes and ears, and that all of them are valuable, all of them are useful, all of them are needed. He's not threatened by opposing views. He welcomes input from others. 
He doesn't feel he has to have all the answers. Be generous with thanks and appreciation. I commend unto you, Phoebe. Paul illustrated that in Romans 16. He doesn't insist that things go his own way. He can yield. He's not quarrelsome or contentious. Not defensive or quick to argue. Not quick to snap back irritably or to retaliate. But rather, he is a peacemaker. The servant leader gives himself to the work. Jesus said, a good shepherd gives his life. Epaphroditus nearly died. I don't know what all was wrong with Epaphroditus, but he nearly died in service to the church of Philippi. And Paul called attention to that. Received Epaphroditus, him there in the scripture, in the Lord with all gladness, and holds such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Don't know what all was involved there, but clearly he was a servant of Christ and a servant of Paul and a servant to the church of Philippi. A servant leader. So we've looked at several uh, qualifications here. Uh, we're looking for a spiritual man, a genuine Christian. He's still growing and still learning, but we see there's somebody who's serious and genuine, and there's a soil that produces fruit that will grow. And we're looking for a wise man, a wise man in the things of God. A man who fears God, follows God, and seeks guidance from God and God's word. And we're and if this man is married, we're looking for a home that's in good order, not a perfect home, not uh, a flawless father, but a father who has a care and priorities in his life that put his wife and his children in their proper place where they are taken care of and he is taking leadership and showing wisdom and guidance and lecturing them. And we're looking for a man who uh, has priorities right in relation to material things. He's not absorbed with and um, managed by mammon, but rather material things and money is uh, a servant and a tool. And his master is Christ. And we're looking for a man who is a servant leader that understands uh, what that is as a, a shepherd's heart, a shepherd's care, and a humility before others, and uh, works together well with others. 
In Jerusalem, God was in the work. In Acts 6, and God blessed that work. It says there in verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Even a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, it wasn't all because they ordained some deacons in that chapter, but it was a healthy church, uh, a church that was following God, a church that God loved and was blessing and was working in and working through. So here we are, uh, having looked at some qualifications. I would encourage you to uh, read over these passages uh, from Acts 6, from 1 Timothy, and from Titus, and uh, read over those qualifications. Think over our brethren in our church. Go through the directory. Pray for each one. That's a good exercise anyway. Sometimes, just a week or two where you just go through and do that um, for your church. But especially in light of an ordination, uh, to pray for discernment and guidance. Um, pray that God would impress upon you someone who might be the leader that God would call. And of course, pray for our church, pray for your leaders, pray for this ordination. And as I mentioned at the beginning, we pray for us as we discuss our schedule and uh, God bless you and may God guide us. And we're not, we're not uh, apprehensive, we're not, we're not uh, afraid, we just go forward in the fear of God. And the love of God, the security that God loves us, and is in our hearts and in the 